Everyone, welcome to uh, the uh, May 21st QPSC. As a reminder to all, in light of COVID and in accordance with our public health and safety guidelines calling for social distancing, we're going to continue to have our meetings for the foreseeable future uh, using this format. Um, uh, our typical uh, process is that we will do roll call and then we will move into closed session. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, closed session is 1157 protected. It's where we have uh, discussions about uh, matters related to the medical staff, confidential manners, or man, uh, issues of risk management and accreditation. So if you're not directly related to one of those discussions, uh, we'll ask you to kindly rejoin us uh, after uh, the, the closed session. And uh, good counsel, uh, Moy, will help moderate how we, who moves in and out of closed session. Mike, is that cool? Okay, with that, it looks like we have a quorum. Um, all right, Ronna. Trustee Bouquet. Present. Trustee Chiquin. Present. Trustee Hernandez. Here. We do all have right. a quorum. With that, we have a quorum, and now we will move uh, into closed session. We've closed out item A. We will now move uh, to item B. Uh, actually, before I do that, uh, Rano, I know that there was going to be a public comment. Can you can you advise where we should place that? I don't have any record of public comment. Oh, we don't have a record of public comment? Not that I've been notified of. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, with that, we will go to item B, which is the consent agenda. Um, uh, it is items B1 through B5. And that was about 180 pages of reading. So um, uh, with that, I'll entertain a motion to approve minutes, um, 23, Highland, 23 system policies and procedures, four Highland Hospital policies and procedures, one Alameda Hospital policy and procedure, a med staff peer review policy, four privileged forms from the Department of Medicine, ortho and surgery, and a staff FPPE form. Uh, motion to approve all that in uh, concert B1 through B5. So moved. Seconded. Uh, and now I'll entertain any discussion or question or comment on that uh, prodigious reading that we all just did. I have a question about the PPE um, document. I, I just would like to know how staff got involved in uh, looking at this, reviewing it, giving feedback. Could someone speak to that? I don't know who the, uh, I'll pull that up. I don't know who the owner of that one was. Can anyone comment on that? Is this item B5 on the consent agenda, the focused professional practice evaluation forms? No, it's the PPE one. I'm trying to find it myself now. Hold on. Trustee Hernandez, was this the one, was it within the system? Yes. Um, yeah, there were 17 of them. Give me a, give me a second here. Yeah, I know. Uh... Little help, anyone? Well, Trustee Hernandez, while I, while I have people looking this up, can you talk to us about what your question might be? Well, in general... Are, are, we talking, are we talking about PPE or the FPPE? 
no. PPE, isn't that in here? I don't remember reading that one. I don't find it. I don't see it. Okay. That's how they're doing it. Well, this is what I just actually stumbled upon his bag. It was addressed to me on Monique's desk. I'm not really sure what that came for. Oh, I think uh, these were the ones. Hey, can someone mute? There you go. Okay. Um, Trustee Hernandez, if you'll just raise your question and then I think we'll uh, kind of you know, obviously we've had such debate and such difficulty around PPE for all the reasons every hospital in the country has experienced. I'm just hopeful that if we are looking at policies around how that's distributed, how that's managed, I, I just hope that we vast staff to be part of that process. That's all. Our, our, our CNE is uh, in the room. Janet, can you uh, please make comment? What is that? What is that in your background? Is that Someone wearing a mask. Uh, um, an emoji with a mask. So that's very, the question is very appropriate for our Can you help us uh, navigate that question about the involvement of all our stakeholders in our PPE policy? Uh, without having the policy in front of me, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we typically do not create policies without getting input, at least from, uh, you know, the leaders on the, on the unit who filter that down in huddles with their staff and then they provide feedback from there. Um, I know that, you know, the, the decisions to lock up PPE for the units were made um, because we were losing a lot of PPE at the very beginning. And so um, that was made so that we could maintain our, our supplies. Uh, but that was well communicated to staff who really didn't uh, have any concerns with that because it, it certainly wasn't every staff that was taking PPE home. Um, so that, you know, the, to, I, I guess in a nutshell, um, we do include them, but there are some guidelines and parameters that we put around policies. Um, policies are developed. They're certainly subject matter experts and then people that weigh in on that. And it goes through a number of iterations before it's finalized. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much, Janet. And Janet, just uh, just uh, the decision to be in, uh, to choose the CDC as our as our, our as our as our sort of true north for the guidelines. Can you walk us through how that has sort of been some guidance? So we, uh, you know, I guess the, we have to take direction from some subject matter expert, right? So we use the CDC, but we also heavily involve Dr. Ellis, and then Dr. Baden has been front and center with that as well to give recommendations um, of what you know. How do we take? CDC seems to come up with guidelines or recommendations, and then how do we incorporate that into what works for Alameda Health? And so it's yeah. not a, a you know one person making that decision. We incorporate uh, the, the subject matter experts into that. And, and, and it's, it's my understanding, and I'll let an expert, not myself, speak upon it, that the majority of hospitals around in the United States have adopted the CDC version. There is a World Health Organization version, which actually has some discrepancies, but but my, again, my understanding is as the CDC is U.S.-based, that's been the one. And I think that uh, is going to bear out to be the, the, the guiding light for us here, which uh, seems to be the, the way to go for the time. Yeah, being. I agree. It, it is what we've been following. And, you know, it, it's uh, changes that it was changing very rapidly. Every couple of days there was a different recommendation or a nuanced uh, recommendation. So um, that that's, that's the one that we've been following. And then also keeping an eye on any other recommendations out there, and then landing on a, a common ground. Yeah, and 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 I, I would I, I guess as a doc here, not as the QPSC chair, 
fully understanding that some people aren't satisfied enough with the CDC guidelines. Uh, so that, become, that becomes a, a continuing uh, point of dialogue for this organization. Is that right. fair? Again, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think the key word is recommendation, and then we need to, uh, you know, use our internal subject matter experts to, to either, you know, uh, add to those recommendations or take the recommendation to be as, as is. Yes. Um, I have a follow-up-related question, but it's actually on the supply side of this. You know, as, as I understand the PPE issue, part of it has to do with the fact that we've all moved to a just-in-time sort of approach on supplies. We don't any longer have these big warehouses full of supplies that uh, you can bank on in an emergency. So I'm wondering, you know, first of all, is that assumption right? Second, what are we going to do if it, does, if it seems pretty de definitive now that we're going to be in sort of a rolling pre-post real sort of situation with this crisis. So what are we doing about the way we're ordering supplies? And I'm talking very high level, not into the, 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 how are we changing our thinking about this? Just wondering. And, and we have uh, both our CNE and our COO uh, on the call and our CEO, of course. So uh, how about the three of you tag team on that one? So I, I think to start, uh, I think the mindset has now switched to how do we not just plan for the moment, but how do we plan for uh, the future as well? And so we're not just looking to get the source enough for the next month or two months. We're looking into fall. We're looking into the, you know, further down the road so that we will source for anything that might crop up. We know that flu season will likely exist in the fall. We don't know that COVID will, will not come back with the flu, so we might have a double whammy. Um, but the, the desire is really to source uh, on an ongoing and not get caught uh, blindsided. And then you know, I think the nation is starting to respond and we've got a lot of different areas making masks and, and face shields and that kind of thing. Um, so the supply is starting to open up but we need to take advantage of that. And then um, I don't want to monopolize, but one uh, exciting project that we're starting this week is to start uh, sterilizing and repurposing N95 masks. And so we're going to pilot that on the SDU and ICU uh, to collect masks, put them through a, a vetted uh, sterilization process, and then keep that as a stockpile. Um, should we run short, we're not throwing masks away. We're going to gonna you know sterilize them so that they're ready for use again. So, um, that's just one small thing we're doing. But Delvecchi or Luis, do you have more to add? Yeah, I would, uh, I would just say that uh, to, to, I guess, Compliment what you said, what you shared there, Janet. Uh, you know, we're we're really getting down to the level of detail of understanding our operations, especially now that we're working on our restoration efforts and bringing services back online, and we're breaking it down to the granular level where we're looking at understanding the procedures that are being performed, the number of staffing required for those areas, uh, what kind of PPE would be required by each of those staffing members to make sure that we're really backing into our um, you know supplies that we have on hand and make sure that we have sufficient to support our operations and not put ourselves in a position where we start services and then we're running out of supplies. Uh, so we're working through that. On top of that, we're working very closely with our GPO. As you all know, we, we have a great relationship and a partnership with our group purchasing organization where we're looking at uh, all of our uh, you know different contracts, looking at all of our different suppliers, recognizing that in some areas they're Therefore, uh, a lack of a better word, they're making allocations to all of their customers, recognizing the shortages that are occurring across the nation. 
Uh, but we are, you know, providing them with uh, clear data as it relates to our utilization, as it relates to our uh, previous order patterns uh, to make sure that we are getting the appropriate allocation to our health system. And so we're continuing to manage that. Uh, we equally continue to source uh, with not only our contracted or GPO vendors, but external vendors as we receive other information from, uh, you know, different reputable uh, companies that are out there. Uh, to make sure that we have an, uh, another source. And then we're lastly, we're, we're continuing our efforts with any donations that present and come to our facilities. We're actively sourcing those, looking at those, vetting them and making sure that we're introducing them into our inventory. So as of today, uh, and as you all have seen, and I've shared with you all the dashboard, uh, we're, we're doing well uh, based on our current utilization. Our days on hand for all of our critical supplies is is uh, where it needs to be. And uh, we're just continuing with our efforts to make sure that we're we're, uh, managing our supplies, managing our stock, and making sure that as we ramp up, we continue to have the adequate uh, uh, PPE to, to move the operation forward. So, so my summary is that our COO feels that he has confidence as of today in our current supply chain. Okay, wonderful. Um, Thank you. Dr. Torna, Dr. Tornabeni, a comment about um, one of the policies, please. Yeah, I have a formal request to remove one from the voting. I just caught the error that the medical staff suspension policy is not supposed to be submitted to the board for approval. So my apologies that this got to the packet, but I request removal and voting on that. We're still working on some items. Do you have the, uh, uh, again, I'm trying to manage my uh, computer here, which is running slow. Do you actually have the official title of that? Uh, it's... Uh, I, I do. I have the grid up in front of me. Medical staff suspension policy for delinquent medical records. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll uh, re-entertain a motion to approve items B1 through B5 with exception to the medical staff suspension policy uh, that was just discussed by our ACMO. Uh, so moved by Trustee Hernandez, reading lips. Second. Second by uh, Trustee Shaquin. So all in favor of approving the consent agenda? Aye. Aye. Uh, and no abstentions and uh, motion carries. So we are now through item B. And we will thank you, uh, Dr. Tornabeni, for that catch. Um, uh, we will now move to item C, which is the QPSC uh, chair um, report. Uh, we'll continue in our journal club. So for those of you who were able to read it, there are two documents which are which are trying to get to the same thing. Uh, the first one is from the California Medical Association. The second one is from the CMS, and both of them are uh, effectively get to the essence of guidelines and recommendations for reopening our healthcare system. I, I know that led by our CEO, our, our COO, and other uh, uh, leaders, that uh, this is the focus of uh, the energies uh, over at least the past couple of weeks, but really honing down over about the past, in my estimation, about the past week or so. I know a ton of energy has been put into that. So I thought that these uh, two articles helped give a framework for these considerations. And what I'm happy to say is these are the considerations which have already been put out by, uh, by uh, the, I guess we're calling it the grid uh, that, we're, that we're putting out to answer all these questions. I had a couple of take-home points and then I'll open it up for comments. I think these are two nice guides my summary take-homes are, number one, widespread availability of testing and data is essential to do this. Uh, that's almost a no-brainer. I think we all agree with that. Two, widespread safety protocols must be in place. 
again, uh, a lot of this is no-brainer stuff. I know a tremendous amount of energy is being put forth on those questions. I was just on a reopening uh, the clinics call uh, two hours ago. Third, reopening should be in phases. I think that's the, the how we're trying to develop. And fourth, which is a really, really important one, which falls outside our discussion, but we are have to be central players in this discussion. And this is maybe more for our, our, our CEO to reach out as he faces externally regulatory flexibility, in particular, telehealth payment parity. Right now, telehealth is, uh, it's my understanding that our payments are the same as in person. Uh, what happens to that model? Should it regress back to the old model where only five to 10% of people were doing it and, and the payment schema for it was not uh, favorable is I, I guess what I'll say. So with that, I'll open up for any comments by trustees and then staff on, on this kind of reopening dialogue that we're having. Maria, you're on mute. Yeah, I just Got realized. Yeah. The one thing that I was not happy about these two documents, uh, at least, you know, my quick review, we're still not making an effort to call out the importance of collecting real and SOGI data about COVID patients. It doesn't feel like it's front and center enough. And um, I, I hope that at our system, we're really careful to do this. I think we are. We're getting there. Uh, because I think the way that we educate our communities about how to prevent uh, contagion needs to be tailored to the communities that we're serving. And I just have to say in my community, um, I'm seeing everything from, you know, the hysterical, which is las veladoras, you know, the candles that you see in store for La Virgen de Guadalupe, you're seeing them for COVID. <laughs> and yeah. The belief system that goes behind that, which um, I understand very dearly, but it's not going to protect you. Uh, the other that I'm noticing is just poor mask use. You know, people who don't cover their nose, they cover their mouth, don't do everything that they're supposed to do. I, I just, I, I think we need to be very aware that different communities are going to need different education around how to prevent contagion so we don't have them showing up and they stay well. Uh, I, I, I just wish that these two documents had a little bit more attention to that cross-cultural effectiveness that we need to be able to demonstrate. Right. And uh, as we've discussed uh, ad nauseum in this committee, this is essential to what we, what we do and who we are here at Alameda Health System. Um, and then it's about creating the structure about how that data is visible to us so we can act upon it. I know this is of particular import to our CEO, so I'm going to give Delvecchio just a, a couple of minutes to talk. There was a little bit of discussion on this topic yesterday, and I'll give Delvecchio a couple of minutes. He actually sent some slides which had ethnic breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. Not, And it's not fully visible to the entire organization, but that begs the question, why not? How do we do with it? Uh, what do we do with it? And how does this relate to our health and equity committee? Delvecchio, sir? Yeah, yeah. No, no, thank you, Dr. Buchanan and, and, and uh, um, Trustee Hernandez as, as, as well. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Buchanan is referencing, Trustee Buchanan, uh, <laughs> the COVID-19 Task Force, uh, chaired by uh, uh, Trustee Abalada. And 
um, I make some comments in the uh, full board meeting around this, but we're continuing to place emphasis on and uh, uh, monitor a lot of different things. And, and this is certainly one of them within the organization, but in our uh, broader community. And yesterday, I think we had a really um, uh, interesting dialogue around uh, kind of what has been the uh, the presentation of COVID-19 cases in our community kind of across uh, social economic demographics as well as um, racial and ethnic um, and what are the trends going forward uh, in terms of um, uh, suggestions or uh, indicators of um, ongoing um, um, a transmission of the virus as well as uh, uh, communities and individuals at risk. And uh, we're doing this at our level, but uh, there is gradually or increasing efforts at the county level and others to be able to call this data together um, uh, for different aggregate communities. And the data we looked at yesterday uh, from the county level showed that of all the different um, ethnic communities, um, um, that have been tested and are positive um, uh, or uh, uh, have had positive cases. Um, two communities, uh, African-American and Latino communities, are the ones where the percentage of individuals who have tested positive are greater than the percentage of that group's uh, composition of the entire population. So there's a kind of an asterisk to it based off of who has actually been tested. And what are the proportional numbers there? Because there's some ongoing uh, um, uh, challenges around access to testing. Uh, but even that is a lens that uh, calls forward, uh, particularly, I think, for African-Americans, it was about um, maybe a 50% uh, increase or uh, variance between uh, population uh, representation and the positive cases, whereas as uh, a twofold uh, uh, representation in the Latino community, like 11% of the overall countless community, but like 21 or maybe 12%. Uh, and 22% in terms of the positive uh, cases thus far. So uh, definitely cause for consideration uh, for awareness and then subsequent uh, um, uh, response. And so the last thing I'll say is uh, in our efforts around uh, testing and contact tracing, and our efforts to look at that and see what role we can play in it, uh, we have introduced to uh, uh, the team internally uh, that's led by Dr. Tony Bene, but involves a lot of uh, leaders like um, uh, Janet McInnes and other uh, clinical departments as well as ministry departments. Uh, we have a um, kind of a uh, layout of uh, high priority uh, groups of individuals for whom uh, we want to continue to expand our testing capability and capacity. And we are uh, introducing a conversation about uh, both the skilled nursing uh, facility setting uh, where Richard uh, Espinosa has been taking an active role in working with the county there, but also socioeconomic uh, uh, or groups or ethnic groups uh, uh, in our patient population as well as in the broader community. And how can we do targeted outreach and support to those um, uh, populations to enhance testing and awareness and then obviously uh, subsequent education uh, uh, and um, uh, uh, advisory work from there. So more to come, uh, but definitely the considerations are there from our own efforts. And I um, agree with you that um, uh, hopefully others are doing that as well. And I don't think it was uh, uh, highlighted in, in what mm -hmm. we saw here, whereas a lot of other stuff is. Delvecchio, in follow-up to Trustee Hernandez's question, uh, I think it was maybe last uh, full board, you showed us, or, or your team showed us, that beautiful uh, COVID-19 epic dashboard, mm -hmm. which, which, which is able to extract some sort of amazing data. Question number one, um, would it be possible for, uh, for that 
dashboard, a snapshot of it to migrate to this committee so we can at least be observant of it. And number two, is there a, is there a standard workflow for our team, our senior team? How is that dashboard being used? Are we just looking at it? Can you talk to us about what that amazing what, what's happening with that amazing data? It's a it's a uh, great question. So uh, one, um, I'd have to check with uh, Mark and Tangerine. I see Tangerine's on the call. I don't know if Mark is, uh, uh, but we uh, took a lot of feedback from last uh, meeting where there were some suggestions around uh, how we might uh, continue to evolve uh, the tool um, uh, as as uh, robust as the work effort had been uh, to get it to that point. So I know that there that effort continued. I'm not uh, entirely. Um, uh, clear on what the, the last status is of that effort. The second part is, again, under the uh, guise of the COVID-19 task force, um, uh, we have been, and I started rather, and, and you know, I'm due for an update next week, outreach to my peers at, uh, or counterparts, as to say, at other facilities to say, from a uh, provider perspective, uh, how can we begin to aggregate data, particularly since a lot of us are using Epic, to then inform uh, what we are seeing, not just from the presentations of positives in the cases, but what's actually showing up in our facilities and how are, how can we then uh, further stratify that data to see how many of those individuals are having disproportionate impact in terms of the acuity of their presentations and their care process. So that's where we're trying to take that data and then further uh, stratify to see if that gives us greater data or, or insights into uh, what's happening in the community and then how do we, um, how do we uh, use that to, to uh, better support the from that vantage point, because that data looks at across the continuum what's happening, not just the positive cases, but the admissions, the ICU, uh, mm -hmm. hospitalizations, ventilation, ventilator usage, and the like. Uh, the last thing I say on that regard uh, is we have used, uh, not specifically in a sort of social economically stratified basis, but looking at uh, AHS and its particular um, kind of uh, orientation in the broader delivery community uh, as a basis for saying that as additional resources are coming available, such as things like remdesivir, uh, that we are um, uh, uh, really um, uh, elevating our voice in the conversations around uh, adequate distribution of and consideration of distribution of scarce resources like that to our community. And uh, Dr. Baden uh, uh, took on the uh, role of leading that effort in pharmacy and a couple of other areas. And uh, we were very uh, fortuitous to get um, a, a considerable allotment of a scarce resource of remdesivir for our organization, for our patients who up to that point, um, other than a small initial allocation we got, we were having to send them to uh, UCSF or other places that were, had access to the drug based off of research studies that they were participating in. Okay. So that's, those are some of the ways in which we are uh, trying to currently use the data, but also contemplating future usages that would help us to um, um, have a uh, equity-based lens into how we're continuing to uh, look at the evolution of this and how we're providing care to the community. So it's okay to ask you or your or your team to contemplate how some type of dashboard with relation, relation between COVID and ethnic and racial disparity could migrate to this committee. And, and it oh, might I'm just sorry. be a snapshot. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I forgot that part. Uh, that was the first part of your, yes, uh, more than happy to share it. And we, we can, you're on the task force, so we can talk about how to migrate it from there to this committee or uh, even the rest of the board, if it, it makes sense to uh, either just include it as a, um, as a uh, um, piece in the board uh, uh, package as well. Thank you, Delvecchio. Sure, Trustees, no, thanks for the question. Luis? Yeah, so 
Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead of us, but I do want to allude, sort of foreshadow, as we move into a very difficult budget conversation in the next couple of months. I have um, committed myself to uh, at least asking the question uh, about alignment of racial, racial equity and where we're, how we're spending our resources. Um, and in looking at that, I realize we don't have enough data. We need more analytics. Um, and that's so one of the proposals I think it's going to probably come up as a conversation is uh, if there's anything we need to spend some money on, it's certainly going to be some quality initiatives. But we're also going to probably need to, to set some money aside to improve our financial systems so that we can track better uh, a number of issues. But I, I think in particular, it's very important um, from a values perspective that we know the alignment between our expenditures and uh, values like racial equity. Um, Agreed. So I'll leave it at that. There's much more to that conversation, but uh, it's a sort of foreshadowing us and thinking. Uh, fully agreed. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Trustee Hernandez, anything? Okay. Um, so. Uh, Sorry, no, I'm, I was on mute. Sorry about that. Got it. Okay. Um, I do want to add one little addition uh, to my chair's report, uh, which wasn't on the formal agenda. My apologies. I just forgot to put it on. At our last QPSC, we had a very detailed discussion about the intensive outreach program. I committed to keep this as a regular item for discussion. Uh, now, I will say that Dr. Babaria, who is, uh, is, our, is our CAO lead under, for the IOP, has been really just drowning in the restoration program. So I wanted to give her a break for this session. But uh, if we have any IOP stakeholders in, uh, on the meeting, I wanted them to speak. Uh, Del Vecchio, um, I know that you've uh, been a part of some of these discussions. Can you give us a two-minute blurb? And then I'm going to commit to we'll put this back on the agenda at a regular session for next time. Yeah, um, so I was, I was trying to scan the group here. Uh, so Dr. Barbaria is not, not on, right? No, she's not on. Okay, great. So she's I'll, doing restoration work right now. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, so I will, I will offer a two-minute update, and then uh, to, your, to your point, if there are other stakeholders uh, uh, who you'd like to uh, um, uh, open it up to, you know, uh, happy to, to uh, oblige that too. Uh, but uh, actually, I think um, since the last meeting, I want to give a th uh, thanks to, um, they're not on this call, but uh, uh, Trustee um, uh, Peterson and Trustee uh, 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 Banerjee, uh, both of whom participated last Friday, I believe it was, in a uh, staff meeting with the IOP PHP uh, staff, along with um, uh, uh, Dr. Barbaria, uh, Dr. Siddhartha, and a couple of other the, uh, clinical leaders, uh, uh, Dr. Wise, uh, and myself, and um, had a great chance to interact with the team to hear um, um, uh, developments on where we were in the process. They knew that and recalled uh, from QPSC the report and the update. Um, uh, continued efforts have uh, 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 taken place uh, since that time too to meet with the county and uh, advance those conversations around 
uh, a behavioral health uh, wellness center model and what that would look like as a uh, an outpatient basis um, uh, to serve a uh, the, the entire continuum of uh, uh, outpatient behavioral health uh, patients, the mild to moderate and the moderate to severely uh, mentally ill, and uh, and to continue the discussions that are really still at the prospecting stage uh, of, of, of possibility in terms of looking at whether the county uh, who ha- has expressed interest in uh, this model is able to when, when and how that might actually come to pass. So, so that's happening. But the staff discussion happened, and there was some robust discussion, obviously, around the um, the value of the service of, of IOP and PHP to the patient population, of which we we completely get and understand and have always uh, raised. Uh, and then also uh, considerations around the uh, uh, current state finances as well as future state financing um, um, was not a, a inclusive uh, meeting or discussion in terms of the future, but um, um, took the opportunity to further clarify for the team that any changes that might um, um, uh, ensue relative to uh, the continuation or discontinuation or other mod- otherwise modification of the service uh, would happen at the board level and the staff would be involved in understanding where the leadership has completed uh, uh, its analysis and what recommendation uh, we would be making, but um, including them uh, as much as possible in that process and understanding it, notwithstanding the fact that, as you might imagine, there are um, various degrees of opinions around uh, uh, which direction we should move in across the board, which we we Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that update. And again, uh, my, my charge is to make sure that this is still an item that we're moving forward. And I'm going to I'm, I'm going to give my own personal opinion is it, it appears to me that uh, a respectful and thoughtful dialogue is 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 on track. Um, you know, all the stakeholders may not be in the room right now. But but that 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 was sort of uh, that, that as, as a trustee, that's what I want to make sure is happening that a respectful and thoughtful dialogue. So, Dovecchio, thank you for participating. That was Dr. Barbaria's opinion. I haven't personally spoken with any of the IOP uh, stakeholders, uh, but uh, uh, I, I look forward to the report from from uh, Paulov et al. Uh, at next month. Is that is that acceptable, Trustee Shuquin? Yeah, I I share that uh, desire that there be a dialogue, but I. I feel a sense of urgency um, about lost leaders, and I don't know enough about where we are with the budget there, but yeah. uh, I think there are issues with uh, um, loss of money, and we're not in a place to be able to do that anymore. So I'm wondering what the um, – so while I value the communication, I don't want that to be an excuse for pushing out something – that a decision needs to be made on. Made yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. So can yeah. I get the timeline on this? Yeah, you know, we uh, it 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 kind of goes from two angles. So just to reflect and, and let me lift up exactly your point that the finances certainly are a consideration. The bigger consideration uh, for us has been the access uh, component. That it really is a limited right. population uh, that are, are that are able to uh, get these services, uh, and that then inhibits the uh, value of the service as a step down and an ongoing outpatient resource for patients who are getting care within John George and or our primary care assigned lives who need um, uh, outpatient behavioral health services. So that's the driver. But on top of that, then the financial considerations for the stability of the program itself combined within the um, the, the losses and um, 
uh, inefficient uh, uh, cost of services uh, of the other population that doesn't get access to this are, are in fact, um, 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 big considerations. So I think uh, the analysis for that part of it is is pretty clear. There's still been some back and forth on are you collecting this revenue and are you collecting that revenue and some fair conversations around those pieces, but the analysis has been already considerate of some enhancements to the rev cycle pieces of it that don't close that gap. Um, the the other part that's a uh, kind of a contingent piece for the time consideration is where the county um, uh, may be, notwithstanding also the current economic situation and the ability to uh, basically add a new service uh, to their contracting uh, capacity. Uh, so, uh, not a great time for that. Yeah, because they they don't they don't. Uh, it's not a part of the benefit for the uh, uh, the SMI population under short dole for, with them now, and so offering this would be an additional service because we don't have a contract for outpatient services in this respect. We have some others that might present a logistical way to make it happen, but they're considering um, financial considerations and where they're you know they're getting across the board uh, allocations of. of, of cost reductions they have to make and can this fit within that construct so so if we can get timing that's going to be a big driver for the timing of sequence of if this service was going to be otherwise curtailed if there was going to be something in its place um, uh, for that broader population as well as those currently getting care there and if i can you know just clarify so so that really is relying on uh, alameda county behavioral health care leadership to make a determination uh, in partnership with us, and, and uh, Dr. Wise uh, is having meetings with them to uh, understand what the potential fiscal implication would be and how then that impacts in the timing. So, yeah. So and we'll make this again. We'll make this. Those. We'll make this a formal agenda item to contemplate all these things. Trustee should come in at our at our next uh, thing because, uh, uh, Mr. Finley, do you anticipate progress over the <laughs> before next QPSC? I do. Yeah, they're continuing to work on this. And so okay. I suspect that we will start to coalesce around this relatively soon. Wonderful. It, it, it actually is really helpful that your your focus is here because it helps the, the, the team and the uh, uh, the staff there to understand that there is a uh, there is a uh, imperative to move this along and not to uh, uh, to let. this. All right. Thank you. With that, we'll close out item C, the QPSC chair report. We'll go into item D. This is medical staff reports, and I want to remind everybody, recall that at, at the last month we made a move where we're going to migrate the key elements of the chief of staff report to the full board meeting so, so that uh, the chiefs of staff don't have to repeat in the full board what they, want, what they had historically told us in the QPSC. So we'll reserve this moment, uh, th this agenda item, I want to keep it as a placeholder for any discussions the chief of staffs might want to have prior to the to the, board, the full board meeting. So again, remember you have an agenda item at the full board meeting. So I want to know if uh, Dr. Ballard or Dr. Marzouk, you have anything to say, and then I'm, and then I'm going to have one or two small more comments right after that. Dr. Ballard, mute. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Yeah, you know, I think everything I'm going to say in the full board, I would say here. So I don't okay. have anything new to add. What? Dr. Marzouk? Uh, yeah. Uh, the same. I have a, a brief uh, report for the full board, okay. which is uh, going to be presented then. Thank you. Okay. Well, while, while, uh, while I have the, the, the chiefs of staff in here, is Dr. Ingenio on the call? Yes, I am. 
Okay, I'm here. got it. So just, just um, uh, I, I want to give a follow-up to all three of our, our med staff leaders. At, at, at the last uh, full board meeting, the, the dialogue, however it migrated, migrated to a discussion uh, about contracting and, 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 and contract negotiations. And, and um, I'm not going to uh, – this, this is a Swiss cheese kind of thing right now. Um, it was happening kind of before us, and we were all kind of just watching, watching that. Uh, I'm going to put it on the board. Uh, it was our responsibility to say that, that this is not the venue to have, uh, uh, if you will, contracting discussions. So not on a person. It was the process. As one of the trustees, I want to make, make just this comment for us before we go to the full board about uh, any labor negotiations, which part of that dialogue fell under, uh, uh, as I had dialogue with other trustees, probably this was the wrong venue. Now, relationship, operations, all those things are appropriate, uh, but, uh, but I just wanted to say that for us. And again, the board is always trying to right-size how we're doing things as well. I've had a lot of deep discussions about these with my trusted uh, colleagues, and I wanted to put that out to my, to my uh, chief of staff partners as well. Uh, and then I'll leave, the, uh, you know, while we have two more minutes left on this agenda item, any comments from our trustees with, the, with regard to this particular aspect of uh, chief of staff reporting? Again, the vision is to have the chiefs of staff elevate their, 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 their successes, their challenges, their issues to the full board so the full board can get a, a true interface with, with our medical staff leaders. That's the vision for it. Uh, I, I uh, like with anything when you roll out, there'll be imperfection, and and I'm trying to help right size that. And I'll look to my trustees for further comment. Well, I, I I'm very appreciative of your comment. Um, I thought that that was not a uh, productive conversation at the last board meeting. And I would add that uh, that doesn't, you know, um, say anything about other processes that the system has to uh, process grievance, uh, to express concerns. It's, uh, uh, we need to, we have a, we're the governing board of the organization. It's not appropriate to be considering contract concerns um, that we're particularly at a, at a contracting level that's not um, our responsibility we've delegated that responsibility so i'd encourage the you know if there's a grievance that that be uh, uh practiced uh, through the normal process uh, uh, agreed and uh, trustee hernandez so i'm going to disagree a little bit here um I would say it is possible that people do try to solve problems within the existing um, systems or procedures. And I think they bubble up to us because there's frustration. There's just a sense of, you know, I tried it and it goes nowhere and now I've got only one other place to go. I don't know if that's exactly what happened last time, but I would just be cautious that um, we, 
this is a messy situation. All of our work is complicated. Occasionally, we're going to have folks come to us with really difficult, ugly, nasty problems. And if they can't come to us, where does the buck stop? Um, I think that we need to just be willing to hear certain uh, frustrations. And of course, if, if they're approached in a way that's productive, uh, I, I think that's the key. I believe we all agree that needs to be productive. And maybe the way that ha that happened last time was not as productive as we wanted. But I, I don't want to be sugarcoated what's going on. I don't want to have someone not be able to say, hey, you know, I tried this. Yeah. Um, so let's just be a little bit cautious about this. We may not have felt it was productive, but I just want to be careful that we're always ready, able, mature enough to hear that there are problems going on. And then, yeah, we have to then take them to the right place. So let, let's just be careful about that. I don't want to be shutting out uh, the freedom of folks to bring things to us. So uh, just a thought. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, putting the thread between the needle between both, I think in the, in the context of quality and operations, that that's always, uh, that's always an, a no brainer. That's a venue to have elements of those discussions migrate here. And again, I, I'm, I'm putting it out not as a dictum for this is how we need to do it, but to be cautious in how we have our dialogues and, 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 and be methodical and thoughtful and make sure it applies within the schema we've constructed as that. But I, I agree, uh, the buck stops at the board and we, we, should, we shouldn't have a position where we completely shut out a voice, but maybe help the voices go through us through, through, through the channels. It's, it's, it's difficult stuff. I'm saying this again. This isn't on individuals. This is this is a system thing. This is how we reshape how we have dialogues with one another, in my opinion. So, if that's acceptable, I will close out item D, the medical staff. Report. Well, if I if I could just add one other thing, I mean, I, I agree with the, the the points, the counterpoints. There is a a you know, there's a legal issue when it's a conflicted party. When it's an interested party who's in the negotiation, who's going to personally gain from the contract, we actually have some legal boundaries we got to follow. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, there was never a disclosure of a conflict. I understand there was a conflict, such a conflict, and that's very different. So I would stipulate there to, you said, Maria, um, it, with the exception that it's black and white when it comes to needing to disclose a conflict in an individual interested party from an individual. So, so Trustee Shaquin, that, that, that's, that's a great comment. And again, this goes to our board education. So now we, at least the three of us are loaded with a party line. This looks like an interested party discussion. Okay. And again, this is actually to the three of us, uh, not, not necessarily to the, the rest of the body in the room about how we guide our conversations. So, I, I, I will. I think we need to take ownership as a board. We didn't say this is an interested party discussion the last time, and it went. But now we will next time. And and um, I, 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 I is that is that acceptable? Appreciate that. Okay. And again, we'll just keep building more and more kind of guidance for ourselves. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, it, it. Let's extract the learning from the pain. <laughs> 
with, with that, we'll close out item D and uh, we'll move to item E, uh, the behavioral health report. I believe that uh, Mr. Fonseca is leading this report. Um, uh, you should presume, Luis, is it you who's given the report, sir? I will tee it up and then I will certainly look to my colleagues to provide additional context. And who, who, Luis, who would be following up with you? Is Dr. Siddhartha in the? Dr. Siddhartha's on the line and we Got also it. have, yeah, Paula Austin, uh, our DON. Got it. So I will say uh, we're teeing up the behavioral health. We, we're actually kind of running on time. We have about 20 minutes allocated to this. Um, uh, know that uh, whomever close, closes the talk, you know what question I'll ask you. Uh, what are your ranked top three concerns? Are you resourced to navigate? Put that in the context of your presentation. You should presume that your trustees have read your packet and 75% uh, dialogue, 25% presentation, if you can. Um, with that, sirs, ma'ams, go for it. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for, for the opportunity to report. If you know when, when we were putting this report together, uh, we, we almost felt like um, we had just done one like a month ago, but it was actually back in January. So time flies and, and uh, you know there's obviously been a lot of activity leading up to this point. but uh, uh, we provided you with a detailed report. Uh, in our report, we took the opportunity to share uh, some of the work that we've been doing at John George specifically around COVID response and making sure that we're protecting that very vulnerable population there at that facility recognizing the unique complexities of that facility and the uh, environmental conditions that we have to deal with, um, largely uh, focused on, on managing a population that is in a congregate setting where we have large numbers of people uh, uh, in our uh, psychiatric emergency department and then as well in our inpatient units, we typically have uh, you know, minimum of you know, um, 20 to 23 patients. Uh, our units are licensed for 23 patients, and then we also have all the staff that's caring for those patients. And so when you're looking at managing and interacting with these individuals in, in the space, in a public space, uh, which, which is the general open area of the units, uh, we want to make sure that we're managing that environment. So we provided you some information regarding that, and we'll drill down a little deeper to that. Uh, then we also wanted to focus on some of the survey response provided you an update on some of the great work that's happening out at uh, the facility. Uh, and and I'm, I'm very proud and very pleased uh, on the great progress that has been made over the last several months. Uh, you know, the, the staff have taken a tremendous uh, uh, step towards uh, ownership and making sure that they are looking at uh, the environment with a different pair of uh, eyes and, and a different lens. Uh, and uh, all staff, I, I feel that the culture truly in the, in the uh, facility is changing, shifting in a very positive way. Uh, our True North metrics, we provided you with some data. Uh, this is largely driven, uh, I, I will have to say, by uh, Dr. Sartha, who has done a phenomenal job <laughs> in really working, partnering, and, and, and uh, bringing all of our physicians in our PES and in our inpatient units uh, along with, uh, you know, trying new things, focusing on how we can disposition patients safely, how we can leverage all of our different resources. And uh, we're, I think we're starting to see some of the outcomes of that as it relates to our True North Metric dashboard uh, and our performance and access and length of stay. And then quality. Uh, we, we've had, uh, again, just great work happening on the facility. Uh, we, we continue to uh, focus on those elements that were identified, you know, six, eight, ten months ago. Uh, related to our our uh, 
you know, quality aspects in, in regards specifically to our suicide screening and monitoring and some of our other clinical practices. And so, uh, you know, with that, I, I just give you the upshot uh, and I will steal uh, Dr. Zarafa's thunder here. And it's the fact that, you know, uh, I am very pleased to say that, uh, you know, although it's a very challenging population, recognizing that our volumes have not dramatically changed in the PES or in our facility coming in, uh, we did institute some, some measures as it related to the public health order uh, that now reduce the number of patients in the congregate setting. But the fact that our presentations on a daily basis have not materially changed, the fact that we have people coming in from the streets or from uh, the police department or from other areas or other settings, congregate settings, the fact that we have not had any type of incident at John George related to COVID uh, we have not had anyone uh, that, uh, uh, or, or any result of a possible or potential outbreak in a very susceptible environment uh, speaks to the, the caliber, the oversight, and the support that's being provided by our PES uh, physicians, our psychiatrists, and also our staff and the awareness of making sure that anyone that presents any type of symptoms that we then collaborate, work closely with our inpatient facilities to drive this forward and make sure that we're caring for those patients and equally protecting our staff along the way. So in any case, just uh, I think that's the upshot in that regard. I think I'm very pleased with that. And our performance, I think, uh, uh, really speaks to the great work as well that's happening um, you know, operationally. So with that, Dr. Siddhartha, I, I'll kind of turn it over to you. Um, hello, everybody. Thank you for giving uh, me this opportunity again. Uh, can everybody hear me? I just want to make sure. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No. Yeah, we, yes. can, we, we can hear you, Tanush. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, Luisa summarizes pretty well. I, I would like to just highlight a few things. Uh, the narrative has everything on it. From COVID perspective, uh, the key thing that, we, that drove us was the realization very early that we are a congregate setting, 35 people are coming here every day. From a, you know, 50% of them from a congregate setting, 50% are going to go into another congregate settings in the community. So there is a pretty high risk uh, of an outbreak within the facility and also being a source of outbreak in the community. Now that, uh, I think that uh, that unique situation has really not changed, but what we have been able to do is uh, uh, so far, with the blessings of everybody, I guess. I mean, things have gone well, and I think we have mitigated a lot of our risks. The key uh, steps were, the fir first thing was that we were, with the support of our uh, executive leadership and our ED uh, leadership, recognized pretty quickly that, you know what, we need to uh, screen for symptoms, but with a low threshold including anybody with any respiratory symptom when all this started you know it was uh, the symptoms were the description of symptoms were more stricter about what is a covid related symptom and um even though these patients do not need treatment per se and there was no testing per se at that time we will send this patients to the different eds within ahs and they'll be taken care of then there till we get a negative test or they are asymptomatic for 24 hour period that I think has been a significant uh, contribution, and uh, that has uh, uh, that has helped in many different ways, uh, including uh, the safety of the staff and the morale of the staff, and ensuring that staffing has continued. Uh, 
uh, people have felt safer. The other part is that we started very early in our recognition of this being a congregate setting and being more and making this, uh, you know, our masking criteria a little more, uh, I would say, lenient compared to when we started. Uh, and uh, I think we left, we were ahead uh, in when we went with masking for staff and then when we went with masking for patients. The, that thing I think uh, has been very significant and not to take away, uh, very early we started uh, with the help of EBS, our EBS department, uh, 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 writing down frequent touch services of every hour and that continues up even today. Uh, and finally, we said we need to create a ritual where uh, staff are going to align with patients to hand wash every two hours. Uh, so we did that. All that was probably from Mars to mid-April, and by mid-April, what we noticed was that there was one thing that we were still really struggling a lot with was we, we would keep get, getting 25 patients after about 4 p.m., and uh, the ES kept getting very crowded as it has traditionally been the case. So, and then there was a, uh, by the public health officer or the health officer of the county an order about you know, social distancing in the congregate settings. It was a concern for us anyways. At that time, again, with uh, uh, the discussions with public health, our executive leadership here, uh, uh, quality, and everybody, uh, we decided that we're going to now limit our census to 25 in PS and PES. And that was, uh, without getting into too much detail about it, that was a pretty intense decision. Uh, so as soon as that happened, we uh, I think that has been very significant. That has had so many positive effects, but some of which I was really not expecting or had not really planned for. I was mainly thinking of it as a problem that we'll have to deal with and it will have all kinds of outcomes that I'm going to have to deal with, but it has led to lots of positive things. Uh, one big, big worry was that we will be on diversion all the time, and that has not been the case. Actually, we have been on diversion lesser than when we used to before uh, we ended up with this uh, uh, ended up with this cut off. So then uh, the how what we did was that we realized that we need to maintain capacity, we need to maintain the patient flow. So we went and we did a lot of things. Uh, it looked at our processes very closely to see where can we optimize, and all in very quick time. And that led to, and I will just skip to the true north metric portion of it because I think well, all that we did in response to this COVID thing has helped us uh, with significantly decreasing us our PES average length of stay, where for the first time in almost a year we have been we have come back to uh, you know below much below targets. Uh, our in, inpatient length of stay has decreased significantly. Uh, the uh, significantly meaning, you know, quite significant. We, during the same period of time, uh, if you will see our readmission rates has kind of fluctuated, but it has continues to be within target uh, and below 2019 levels. Uh, restraints and seclusions have actually gone down, which I'm not surprised by. Uh, uh, as in because, you know, once you have a nice flow, uh, there's decreased overcrowding, overall uh, aggression and everything decreases, especially in the PES. The only thing that has, uh, we are, uh, even 
actually patient experience also went up during this time but however that's too early to kind of comment on i'm not very sure about that yet uh, uh but and overall for the year our, we are still in the red with the patient experience so uh, just summarizing i i think uh, we uh we, you know, in summaries, actually, with COVID, uh, I feel we have uh, done uh, well, and uh, we still are at risk uh, because it's a, you know, it's a congregate setting. We have patients, and at a certain time, we'll have an outbreak, uh, and we there will be an impact to the throughput uh, through this whole community and uh, through from the EDs to us uh, for some time, depending on how, what it is and how we navigate that. Uh, how we, us at BHCS and other resources in the community coordinate that we might have an impact for a couple of weeks. So that's my summary on the, uh, uh, you know, COVID and the TNM. Thank you, Dr. Siddhartha. If Thank I, you. If, uh, yeah, Dr. Bouquet, if I may, uh, just very quickly, uh, just to add on to this um, I'd also like for uh, uh, Paula Austin who is our director of nursing to uh, share with us a little bit about uh, the work that we're doing around uh, our joint commission readiness and uh, there's been a tremendous amount of activity out at the facility and and uh, as I said earlier very very I'm very proud and very pleased of you know how the staff have all come together and responded to to uh, really elevate and move the organization forward I, I actually had a meeting yesterday uh, afternoon uh, in a uh, in a very it, we had a, it was actually a face-to-face meeting but it was socially distant uh, with the with our nurse managers uh, at the facility uh, and uh, so Paula and, and her four managers uh, we, we all met in, in our large conference room and and uh, just had a conversation around how things are going it was it was my way of checking in on the team and see how they're how they're how they're doing, how they're hanging in there. Uh, there there's been a lot of work, a lot of activity, and uh, it was very refreshing and, and, and truly, for me, very fulfilling to, to see them uh, all taking such great pride in, in the work that's happening in the facility, the changes that they're seeing themselves, what they're witnessing from their staff, the ownership that they're taking uh, in their space. I mean, where, you know, now they were making comments of, you know, the, now I have staff, you know, as they're rounding or walking around the, the unit and they see something on the floor, they say, hey, who, who put that there? or Who dropped that there? You, you got to pick that up. You know, and we got to make sure we keep our space clean. And so it was just a very, very uh, energizing. And so they all, they, they themselves, uh, I think, um, are very energized. They're, they're very, uh, you know, positive. Uh, they're seeing the culture shift. They're seeing great teamwork between the units. Uh, uh, you know, this this may sound, you know, like, you're, you, you know, for, to you all, it may sound like, well, that's the way it should always be. And I agree, it wasn't that way in the past. And, uh, you know, now we have the units collaborating, working together, moving staff from one unit to the other to make sure that we're supporting our, our patient care needs. Um, so it, it's just been a very positive environment. And so one of the things that Paula has done as she continues to really lead and support that team uh, with in partnership with Dr. Siddhartha is in our quality assurance and process improvement committee that meets every single week to review not only all of our corrective action measures for our CMS survey several months ago, uh, many of which I'm very pleased to say uh, those measures have, have uh, reached 100% compliance and have maintained and sustained 100% compliance for the period of four months, which we have then moved to a watch metric. Uh, we've also added uh, all of our Joint Commission findings as part of our quality assurance and process improvement report that we're tracking in our dashboard every single week and making sure that we're moving the needle and moving those efforts forward. So I uh, wanted to kind of 
set the stage for that. And then Paula, do you want to, you know, just share uh, at a high level some of the great activities that are happening regarding the Joint Commission readiness? Welcome, Paula. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> can you hear me? Yes, we can. Are you on a video? Oh. Uh, no. Okay, that's I, okay. I I'm just no, okay. I'm just scrolling through so we can see you. But if you're not, that's okay. okay. So I can just say there's been uh, a lot of good work completed here at John George uh, after our Joint Commission survey. Um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of collaboration between the departments, our nursing departments, our environmental services, engineering. They've all stepped up and are working closely together to improve our environment so that it provides a safe place for our patients. Um, we did have some ligature risk identified. Uh, we had several beds that were identified by the surveyor as risk and we had staff uh, do 15-minute checks on those beds and they really embraced that and stepped up, uh, created uh, check sheets for that and took ownership of it. Uh, I will. I am happy to say that we have uh, obtained our beds and they have uh, arrived and been installed. So um, that that and the staff have been oriented to them as they are uh, a little different in their restraint, but they've all been educated and they've all taken a special interest in learning about that. Um, in this. Uh, you can see that the collaborative work between these departments has really created a healthy competition and each unit is trying to uh, be better than the next and you can see this this kind of blooming pride within their units and um, when we walk out on the units to do rounding they want to show us their units uh, show what they've done which um, is really um, um, good to see that and of course um, and they all speak to the fact about sustaining these results not just until uh, the Joint Commission returns but how they're going to try to sustain these resu results which is very very good I think um, some of our other findings that uh, related to our um, um, suicide screening tool uh, treatment planning um, other things of that nature, we've done uh, extensive, extensive education, one-on-one um, -on -one education, e-learning, um, and um, uh, staff. We've also done that in staff meetings as well. We have instituted audits, which we do a report out, as Luis said, in our CWAPI meetings. And if we find that our percentages are down from what we want, we do implement a action plan of how are we going to get these scores back up and what seems to be the barriers. So um, it's just, um, it's been a really good in seeing the growth of the um, managers and the staff in taking ownership and um, really seeing a lot of good results, I will say. Well, thank you for that, Paula. Uh, so Paula, uh, I'll say uh, the board likes to hear nice things, but we want to uh, uh, balance ourselves out always. So a, a standard question I always ask, um, and you haven't presented to us before, but so prepare yourself. Um, can you rank list your top concerns in rank order? 
And then the follow-up question is, do you feel resourced to navigate those concerns? What's your number one, what's your number one concern? Well, I think recently my number one concern is, um, of course, always in a psychiatric setting is um, patient-to-patient assaults, patient-to-staff assaults, the violence. Um, are we really doing that good of a job in assessing the violent uh, potential of a patient when they first arrive? Okay. Um, that's a good one. That's my highest one. We're looking at the um, using the Brockett, Brockett score that we have already in Epic and really using that to the fullest and looking at some other ideas and how to uh, do better in identifying the, these patients. And I think that's my... Um, number one. Number one. What's your number uh, two? Think, What's your number, number two? Um, would be um, our treatment planning and the process we have in making sure that we're uh, individualizing that to the patient, that we are providing um, in that treatment plan, uh, utilizing a safety plan for our patients so that when they leave, they have something in their hand that they can take as a safety plan. Here, that they've worked on it, that they have um, identified support people, um, resources, uh, community, as well as um, clinics that they could utilize. So I think uh, working on uh, that would is also something that we want to work on as well. Do you, do you feel resourced to navigate those top two problems? Number one, safety. Number two, treatment plan. Mm, yes, I do. I do. You know, that's, that's sort of a veiled question, which means, what do you need? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you know, I, I just wish um, sometimes there was more time in the day so that we could, I could look at all these different uh, aspects and, um, you know, um, you know, because there's always day-to-day issues that pop up and, um, you know, just finding the time. You know, we've been very busy with, you know, we had a flu outbreak, Joint Commission, and then COVID. And so it's it's just been uh, busy but uh, exciting. And um, like I say, it's like putting together the pieces of a puzzle. And uh, it's been um, very interesting. Apart from giving you more hours in the day, which I do not have that skill or power, um, are there are, are there any other resources which would help you to creating a safe environment is essential, of course, right? It's actually, it, it's the first thing in quality, uh, safety. So are there any resources you need to be, feel better, more safe for your patients and your staff? Well, you know, I think to give an honest answer to that, I'd really want to think on that, you know, and make right. sure I... That's okay. And, and yeah. think on that and make sure that uh, I've um, voiced uh, the, the the actual need instead right. of just a, an right. immediate risk. Okay. Uh, we, we, we ask you to think and contemplate all that uh, and, and have that discussion with your partners and at the next mm-hmm. SBU report, we... we we would love to have you also uh, uh, participate in, in that as well. So I heard your number one issue is safety of the patients and staff. Number two is treatment plans uh, for your patients. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Dr. Siddharth, the same question to you. What's your rank list of concerns? Uh, 
Yeah, your rank list uh, concerns, number one and number two. My, no, sorry about that. I, okay. I didn't think you were going to ask me that question, too. So. You knew I was going to ask you that question. My number one thing that is on my mind is to sustain uh, uh, the improvements that have happened. I feel pretty confident about the uh, you know, there are the other, you know, Paula, the, you know, the, the things that she's looking into and other people, you know, other leaders who are looking into, uh, they're going to take care of this. Uh, but yes, uh, the number two, I mean, not, I mean, the number two for me, because it's number one for Paula, is uh, 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 actually you know, patient safety and staff safety and assaults. There is, uh, interestingly, as we decrease the length of stay in PES uh, and, uh, we improve our patient flow through the system. Uh, it creates a, a certain, it creates a new reality, which need, which, I mean, with, for example, you have uh, patients coming in too quickly to the inpatient unit. I mean, it's not quick by uh, as far as our boards are concerned, but if you have a patient coming in at seven o'clock at night, right, uh, after a four hour, five hour stay in the PES, uh, which is a which is a new thing for us. Have we uh, have have we looked at all the the kind of orders that need to be in there? Are tend to be a little different from uh, if you were the patient has already been stabilized for 24 hours or so. So it's uh, things like that. So I I feel that you know with some improvements, I think we there is because we do not have hospitalists. I mean we don't have doctors 24/7 in our in our inpatient units. So I. Uh, so I think that is a significant issue. So I feel that with the changes that that have happened for the positive, we sustain that. That challenges. One of them is the possibility of some gaps around uh, safety. Actually, mm -hmm. late in do, you, do you do you think you feel resourced to address your top two? So number one, a broad one, sustaining improvements. That's actually a big question for all of us. And number two, safety. Do you feel resourced to negotiate those? concerns yeah i think these are process related issues and uh, okay staffing account um, staffing overall i think has been much better well that is one of the other things right i mean you know with our census going being stable in pes uh it, well, our staffing has been pretty good over the yeah. at least in the pes okay so, yeah, that would be the one thing i would think about resources when we're talking about staff's as uh, safety uh but uh, most of the other things are you know, process and our assessments that Paula mentioned and attention and vigilance. So we are okay. Well, thank you. So thank you to the three of you for that report. Um, um, we we want to hear positive things out of John Jor, and it looks like we're hearing some uh, uh, of, of those positive things. So thank you for that. So uh, trustees, any questions uh, to any of the three presenters on the SBU behavioral health report? Um. I do have a quick question, I hope. I'm just curious, are the patients allowed to wear uh, PPEs, protective masks? Um, I'm worried about, obviously, that they can use the uh, strings for um, something more nefarious. And so I'm just curious how you're managing that with your patients. Yes, so uh, uh, this, uh, we looked at uh, so the, uh, the Initially, we were doing N95 masks, actually, and then they, that has metal on it. 
especially in the PES. So we, we quickly caught that. And then we went with the surgical mask. We did a literature review uh, and also made some phone calls and about people just to understand if there has been, uh, theoretically it is possible, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, at that time we, there was not, you know, in the field and, you know, these incidents not happening, the research which would suggest that this has been some, some sort of an issue some, uh, somewhere. The risks associated then and even now, I think we are more comfortable emotionally now, but with, at that time, the risks associated with a possible outbreak and all that seemed to outweigh the possible thing. Yeah. And uh, technically, the, these uh, masks, uh, the screens, they are, they snap. So they are not able to hold the weight, but theoretically, you know, you know, if you put so many of them together and then you do it, I mean, there's always a way. Uh, but uh, you know, that's just uh, that's our, that was our assessment about it. Thank you. Thank you. With that, we will uh, close out uh, item E, the SBU quality metric report, and we're about to move into item F, which is the regulatory affairs and patient safety report. Um, uh, I I believe uh, both. Uh, Darshan and Nilda will be giving that. But before we do that, we actually did have a public comment set up. Um, and it's a public comment from someone that we know well. Um, Trustee, Trustee Jensen has asked for, uh, unfortunately, Trustee Jensen is no longer part of this committee, so she's afforded the opportunity for public comment. Hi, Trustee Jensen. Um, hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, you requested, uh, you requested a public comment, of course. And, right. Uh, Apologies, but we'll hold you to the same standards as public comment. So three minutes on the clock. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, thank you for the late late approval. I'm, no problem. Um, I, I I have been participating or at least viewing the QPSC meetings, and I always appreciate the discussions that touch on the critical importance of of all of the topics, especially transparency as a measure of high quality healthcare. It's clear to me from my QPSC experience and, and elsewhere that evidence based Healthcare can be measured to improve population health. And it also makes patients feel more secure and satisfied with the quality of the care. Evidence relies on collection and comparison of data points in healthcare that can range from how quiet a room is at night to the infection rates after surgery. In the current era of patient engagement and shared decision-making, patients themselves are increasingly expected to consider evidence in making their healthcare decisions. At Alameda Health System, the decision-making is done at the staff level. Every time covered employees decide whether to obtain their healthcare through Alameda Health System facilities and providers. Likewise, employee group payers and large insurance carriers look at quality metrics when making decisions about network participation. And so I think as AHS trustees, we, and especially me, can expect that AHS should and will focus on improving the public perception. To improve transparency, there are several organizations that provide varying degrees of data, and these range from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Medicare Star Ratings to U.S. News & World Report Best Hospitals. The LeapFrog Group, LeapFrog Group uses Medicare data and self-reported data from hospitals, as well as publicly available data to address and, and identify medical errors, infection rates, and how communication happens at sites. And they use the data to rank, this year they ranked 2,600 acute care hospitals in the United States with grades from A to F. I was very disappointed recently when the LeapFrog Group released acute care hospital ratings, which seemed to demonstrate that AHS is moving in the wrong direction. 
Two of the three AHS acute care hospitals were among only 16 hospitals out of 2,600. 16, only 16 received an F grade. And among those 16 were Alameda and San Leandro hospitals. This, this is just unacceptable to me. And I have to, I have to share it during QPSC. Tomorrow, this board will have a public meeting with our partners with the goal of improving communication, addressing <coughs> fiscal challenges and strengthening trust. The environmental challenges must also include attention to the organization's role in the community. Perhaps the leapfrog F grade will not impact Medi-Cal reimbursement. It won't maybe impact the reimbursement from Alameda County for vulnerable underserved patients. And maybe those patients won't even know that leapfrog exists. But I think that we should be concerned that more than 12% of the F grades went to Alameda Health System Hospitals. And that's nothing to be proud of. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your public comment. In, in keeping with our board approach, I, I won't respond directly to the public commenter. However, I will note that on Saturday morning, um, uh, we have a dedicated um, few hours to just exactly discuss about quality. And as happens, uh, the, the, the role of LeapFrog and other uh, rating bodies will be included in that discussion. And then my other general comment out to the public is, we always love when trustees uh, engage on quality. And if any trustee ever wanted to return to this committee, that would be okay. <laughs> so with that, we will go into item F, the regulatory and patient safety affair, uh, patient safety report. Um, Nilda, if you don't mind coming out of the gate and then we'll do Darshan. And uh, we have about 10 to 15 minutes for this. And then we're gonna immediately follow with a true North metric dashboard which maybe we can do in about 10 minutes. So I'm hoping we will maybe have a shot of coming in five minutes uh, before landing time. So, uh, Nilda? Certainly. Thank you, Dr. How are you doing, Nilda? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And so I trustees and anyone who's watching, one challenge we've had today is there's, there's actually some beautiful graphs and such that, that people have generated. If you're following along, Nilda's report begins on page 207 of the packet. Nilda, the stage is yours. Okay, great. Um, looking as we progress through the next page on two, I have a brief slide regarding the reportable events and CDP yep. activity. Yeah. Zero activity in April. Uh, so no visits, no site visits, but we did have a, a reportable event related to a patient elopement from John George that was reported to CDPH. And then we had one plan of correction that was submitted from a past elopement at Highland uh, from the ED. That was submitted at the end of the month. We will be, um, CDPH has not come out regarding the John George event. Uh, likely we will not see any activity from them either until we progress in our stage, stage through the pandemic um, shelter in place order or perhaps not until later in the um, The plan of correction to CDPH was accepted at the end of April. So we will be collecting data. The first full month of data will be in May. And I'll report that at future PTSC, their performance on that action plan. At this time, there are no other active plans of correction monitoring data required to be reported this month. So Nilda, Nilda, I'm gonna apologize and I'm gonna stop you at each one because I think the general audience probably can't see your slides. So we're gonna have to kind of verbally say what we're on. So trustees, any questions to Nilda with regard to uh, kind of A and items A and B, which are the reportable events in the joint commission? Okay, great. 
Okay. Milda, if you, I, I think they're on item C now. Is that correct? Right. Well, this is the meat and the potatoes in my report. Yeah, this is the meat. Yeah. yeah so meat so just, just talk, be able to talk people through that sure. nice little uh, uh, gra uh, graph that you have right. there because they probably can't see it. Right. Um, okay. So there is a graph where I categorize in a Pareto chart the deficiencies um, per standard chapter for the Joint Commission. Uh, no surprise, we know that the primary three, the top chapter for us was environment of care, the second was um, infection control, and the third was life safety. And so I just did a grouping of that so that folks can see that. You know that our condition level findings resulted um, in environment of care, infection control, right, surgical services, and then um, I then went on to show you the post-survey activity because I'm sure there are concerns about the amount of work that's being asked of others in the organization and also making sure that people are supported to be successful. Um, so in the scope of work for regulatory affairs, we spent approximately 59% of our time on post-survey plans of correction, meeting with others, writing up their plans, reviewing their plans, offering advice and consultation, validating their corrective actions, um, and, and we spent approximately another 23% just developing the survey monitoring uh, tools and actually coming up with audit and monitoring plans for each plan of correction. And then I would say we spent approximately 18% of our time has been on the validation of the plans that have been implemented, continuing to do inter-rater reliability audit, in addition to the audits that the uh, users are, are performing to do a comparative to make sure that we're in sync and that everyone's plans are lining up. And so that represents approximately 2,000 hours of work post-survey. Um, it feels probably feels like more than that to us, but yeah. we just want to make sure that people are sure that there is a process in place to monitor and that we are also invested in training people monitoring tools and also going out to do rounds with the end users to assure that they're comfortable that their questions are being answered and that we are really creating um, a, uh, evidence um, repository for the Joint Commission when they return on everything that people have been able to achieve and that the corrective actions have actually been executed. So we trust but we verify as we say. Nilda, I, I want to uh, give personal appreciation to that piece of data. It's something that we don't often consider. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Um, oh. uh, it, I, we often don't consider actually the the, the downstream work generated as, as a cost of quality. And and this this particular chart, you guys have put in 2,000 hours on this work since when when was the survey? I can't remember. It ended February 28th. I mean, that's that's a ton of work. And it, it sort of actually makes me think of um, that maxim, uh, ounce of prevention, pound of cure. And um, boy, we've spent a ton of energies on, on this, and, and I want to applaud the organization for rallying around that, but the, the, this particular uh, pie chart just sort of jumped out at me when I think about what it costs to not only do quality, but to clean up quality, and uh, so I really yes. appreciate that work that uh, I think the whole organization appreciates the quality team's work on that. Well, thank you very much. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to be talking about are the positive observations since that time. And yeah. the, the wonderful thing is that we've been able to uh, collect over 70% and the number probably today is up around 80% of all of the required evidence um, documentation that we've requested from folks. 
Um, there's been really great engagement from leaders, um, from executive leaders down to frontline. Um, today, I got an email from a OR nurse asking me about a checklist for something, and I was surprised. I don't even know this person, but they saw somebody rounding, and it's something they're thinking, and they reached out to me and just said, hello, can I get one of your survey readiness checklists? So that's a wonderful, I think, comment. Um, people are engaged. People are trying to be consistent in their practices. People are really wanting to shine and put their best foot forward. There's been a lot of, um, they appear to be effective. We're seeing some visible improvements. The rounds that our Sham will talk about that the rest of the quality department is doing have really been very helpful to show people what's possible. And I think to keep that motivation and positivity going forward. And I really appreciate that as part, as I know in times like this, when it's a little bit challenging, people can get discouraged and despondent and maybe you know feel like, is this really being effective? But they really are making a difference. I do want to also, though, feel my obligation to know about the opportunities for improvement and sustainability that we're experiencing. The key areas of risk continue to be ensuring that the high-level disinfection of competencies among the staff who perform those duties is consistent. Um, I think we are, there's some confusion about the way that we manage our emergency resuscitative equipment, and that you know there's an opportunity for clarity there. Um, suicide risk management, including the screening and the environmental assessments and the documentation um, is, is something that we still have to work on. And I think around ligature risk, Paula and Tanuj discussed, you know, recent events. Uh, so that's a challenge, um, something that we've just got to be mindful of. And I think tire, tire, you know, some reassessments and renewals of orders for patients and restraints, that's one that everyone has. We've got some environmental and some maintenance, which I know that ELT has been discussing in their other forums. So I won't believe that they labor that point. But I think the, the biggest four things that we really have some opportunity to just kind of keep in the forefront of staff is that the hardwiring of their competency and training for all employees in critical risk areas is it's just the best investment that we could possibly make for our patients. Not so much for regulatory compliance, but for our patients and keeping them safe. And then maintaining the, you know, the adequate resources to keep the environment of care, you know, how we want to see it and respectful of patients' rights and to show the pride of everyone who's working really hard to take care of patients here. And then I think that we've got some opportunities around, we have some interim leadership and that's always a challenge. And how do you maintain, the question I ask, how do we maintain continuity when we have interim leadership in place in some key areas where it's difficult you know, it's a difficult way to turn that ship around. And I just think that, you know, again, my, you know, always just keeping that consistent performance in those key functional areas at our forefront and how we can support leaders to support their workforce. And I just live, I won't go over into the last slide, but I just wanted to remind you that excellence is perseverance in the presence of obstacles. I think that summarizes what we're trying to do in our current environment. Thank you for the nod, Delvecchio, I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, Nilda, thank you. That was that was pretty tight, and I appreciate because uh, we're we're at uh, seventeen minute time check. I'm going to open this up to the trustees for questions to Nilda with regard to our regulatory uh, uh, affairs. I don't have any questions, but I just really appreciate this report. Thank you so much. It was very informative, and I look forward to seeing more of these to just keep track of how we're doing there. Thank you. Thank you, trustee. I appreciate it. Um, Trustee Shaquin. Yeah, I would just uh, add my uh, appreciation for the report. 
um, along with the last report as well on John George, and and say that um, you know we, <laughs> when you're in crisis, you sort of uh, you can come to conclusions and have some urgency about something, and then that can sort of wash away. Um, and I, uh, my concern is that we are making cultural change that's lasting. Um, and the real test of that will be, you know, in six months from now when, uh, you know, we uh, have forgotten about this particular crisis. Yeah. So I, I appreciate all the progress and just remind people that we have to do that perseverance on an ongoing basis. Uh, to, to, to my colleague, friend, and finance chair, I, I'll say um, a, a great piece of data, which we've not seen before, is as relates to finance and that quality interface, Nilda's report helps us to at least partially monetize mm. the man hours that it costs to do this. Yeah, I love that. Right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 it, should we have to go through this again, you know, ounce of prevention found a cure. So I I I I really that that was the piece of data which jumped out at me because I know that the quality team works their butts off, but to actually see a number on it, that that sort of jumped out at me. And uh, that's an, a good quality finance interface, I would say. Um, if I can, if I can just kind of, of course, that sentiment. Uh, we we, uh, and I think you'll see this uh, tomorrow in the uh, update to the budget. Obviously, we're we're far from being done, but uh, we we try to um, uh, capture that sentiment in both the uh, uh, operating budget uh, for next year as well as capital. And so you will you'll see uh, uh, some considerations for how we continue to promote quality uh, as a um, as an aspect of all the work that we do and the resourcing and financing that uh, that would go into supporting. Uh, principle for the work that we do um and it's uh, it's it's substantial i'll just put yeah, it that way. Of, and, yeah. Um, quality costs and yeah. now we're we're the, the, uh, data like this helps to slowly put a number to it which i actually find to be fascinating and awesome yeah. nilda you know my classic question to you is going to be uh give me your rank list top concerns number one and then give me at least a number two okay well then i'm gonna I'm going to say my what I wrote down is my number three by no means, but it is my biggest one is that um, I'm hoping that, you know, out of this process, which is, of course, a little bit, you know, um, uncomfortable and a little bit bumpy, that we're going to hopefully get to a place where we can have a centric culture. And we talked about, uh, uh, Lewis talked about the uh, culture change that drives, um, that we have a patient-centric culture, hopefully to get to that place where it drives our process our decision-making and our priorities. So, then, so, so, so Nilda, to rephrase that concern, you, you're concerned that we don't have a patient-centric culture. Help, help me rephrase that as a concern. Well, I would say, I would, I would rephrase that to say that we, that, um, that our processes, our decision-making and our priorities uh, kind of work backwards from the outcome that we wish for the patient. Because Great. Some, I think that, yes, and that's, that's why I was That's saying. a well-phrased concern. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm sorry, yes. No, no, don't be don't don't apologize. And what do you got for number two? And for number two, I would just want uh, I think that we've got some opportunities to eliminate some decentralized processes that are in some key areas of potential risk. And um, I, I think I would like to see if we could possibly get there. Um, and I think we can. And then I think uh, just also um, promoting uh, throughout the organization tools that also promote 
that um, standardized work and assurance of staff performance. So I'll call the, I'll call that uh, processes and tools are not where they need to be. Is that a concern? Yes, I, okay. I would. Say yes. Do do you, do you feel resourced to navigate those two issues? I, I think so because I feel that our leaders are, um, are 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 vested and I think supportive of the of the the offer the benefits that come from having that standardized work. I've spoken with a lot of leaders front line about knowledge deficits and you know formalized processes, written guidelines, things of that nature that they the recording has stopped. This My meeting is being recorded. Got it. Okay, Nilda, thank you for that report. And, and now I'm actually going to throw you the tough the tough question. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Joint Commission walks in on June 1. Are we ready? June 1, no. June 10, yes. Okay. So we're, we're almost there for we're them almost. to walk in and be ready? I think so. Okay. Gutsy telling telling us no on June one. Thank you for being gutsy. All right. Uh, um, all right. Uh, hi, Darshan. How are you? Darshan, are you on? I I am here, uh, Doctor Paquette. Can everyone hi, hear? Hi. Wel welcome. Everyone remembers Darshan is our director of patient safety. Darshan, I apologize to cheat you out of time. Can you do it in about five or six minutes? I can do it. I can okay. do it. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to go drill down into the details, but we have seen consistent um, utilization of our safety alert system. So uh, we are still getting a lot of events, which is the first line, the first trigger that we get in our organization to see if there are any um, adverse events or triggers that we need to be aware of. So there's been some significant, some minor decrease, but not overall when you look at what's been happening in the last several months with the COVID. Um, I do want to point out that our um, patient relations events have decreased over the past year, which is actually a, a good sign in some respects because we're really trying to promote a culture of having real-time service recovery. We really want to make sure that the patients and families' issues are addressed um, immediately when brought to our attention and that those do not result in grievances. So um, that's an area that we've been trying to focus on in educating our, our managers and other leaders that when there is something that is of concern that we want to mitigate it as soon as possible and reduce the, the um, grievance or the legal aspect of, of these events. What I do want to focus a little bit on um, is uh, we've had a significant decrease in Sentinel reportable events as compared to when um, uh, the first 18 months that I was here. Um, I'm really happy that that we've made a huge shift. And again, these are all uh, related to not only transparency, culture shift, um, but when things happen or things are not working as designed, I think people are being more transparent and reaching out um, to patient safety or regulatory, seeking consultation so that we can 
sort of mitigate the issue before it actually becomes a sentinel event or any potential harm to a patient. So um, we are still having events, but it is nothing um, in the in the numbers and the magnitude that we saw in 2018 and 2019. So. Um, you know, and it could be also that we put a lot of work into making processes more standardized, uh, you know, uh, policies that were more um, uh, more uh, identified and uh, taught to so that we have better better workflows and better processes to, to speak to some of those uh, areas. Um, another area but I do want to just make the board aware of that we will not be um, implementing our culture of safety survey, which is um, uh, to our beta healthcare partners and safe and reliable just because of the COVID situation. But um, in lieu of that, we do have our data from last year. So if we want to go back and review that with the unit managers and the frontline staff, there is an opportunity for us to still utilize the data that we do have if we want to put some proactive um, energy into that. And then the final area that I really just want to share for the last few minutes is um, how um, how meaningful and gratifying the uh, readiness rounding has been. Um, it has really, uh, really drawn a lot of positive um, outcomes and positive energy, not only from the management level, the, the leaders, the frontline staff, but it really promotes a culture of um, situational awareness, accountability, and engagement. Uh, we've seen a lot of significant improvements and just uh, a sense of ownership, a sense of um, pride. Um, so I, I, we want to continue that even regardless of when Joint Commission comes. I think it's an important function within our organization to uh, be rounding, understand what's happening at the front line, and being the support system to, to identify it proactively rather than in a reactive way. So all in all, um, uh, there's a lot of work being done, but there's a lot of positive outcomes that are being generated of our collective, collective efforts um, from all areas in the organization. Wow. Thank you, Darshan. Thank you for that tight report again. I'll open it up to trustees for questions to Ms. Graywall on our uh, patient safety report. I'm fine. Thank you. Um, Darshan, a couple of things. Um, uh, we'll start off with my uh, question. Rank the list your top concerns, uh, number one, number two, and then, and then the follow-up question, do you feel resourced to navigate them? Okay, so I uh, my number one concern is um, sustainability. Um, you know, there's a huge focus around you know doing the right thing, being in regulatory compliance. Um, I just want to uh, I, I'm hoping that the level of engagement and commitment will um, be sustainable, and um, we can put so, uh, standardized process in place to continue the work that we're doing might be at a less frequent um you know less frequently but you know executive leadership rounding patient safety rounding you know infection prevention all of the teams that do it team huddles yeah yes that's 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 really effective work um and yeah. it, 
I think it says a message loud and clear for our frontline staff. They feel very supported and they feel like they have a voice. Um, yeah. I think that's a huge message. Um, I think the, the second sort of area that I'm concerned about is just culture. Um, I think coming into the organization, I could see that um, some issues had arisen in our organization that there was not clear definition of accountability or a sort of a culture of accountability. And I really want to look at an opportunity to promote a um, more standardized just culture um, environment um, uh, similar to how the physicians have adopted a just culture uh, and professionalism policy, but to also implement that for the staff um, because I think it just sets a, an expectation and a level of um, excellence across the organization. And Do you feel resourced to navigate these two concerns? Um, yes, because I'm very passionate about it, so I will find the energy and resources. <laughs> do, do you think the organization is resourced to navigate those concerns, not you? Um, I, do, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It would, it would, it would uh, mean an investment for many other key leaders, but um, yeah. it would be hard for me to equate that and what yeah. their priorities are and if they're in alignment with and, and it's And it's an interesting concept as we're coming close to time to think about how do we monetize quality? And, and uh, thank you to Nilda's report to make me think about 2,000 hours for that, you know? How much does an hour of CEO's time cost around, and is it worth, and et cetera, down the line? What does it cost a team to have a 30-minute team huddle every morning uh, to, because they're not doing direct patient care, et cetera, et cetera? We, if, if, we're, if we're smart, we can sort of do the math and at least partially monetize this work, this work which I, I, I think actually I find that completely fascinating, how we could maybe put some math to it. Delvecchio, sir. Uh, just quickly, I know we're uh, hitting time. I really appreciate the question because I've actually been thinking along the exact same lines, like yeah. taking a page out of your book and actually uh, your collaboration with Trustee Sequin, uh, that the question you just asked, Darshan, I think is, uh, is, is kind of your version of this standard work to me. And, uh, yeah. and uh, I would uh, uh, take a, a bit of courage pill from Nilda to tell you that I think the answer is no, actually. Uh, but I think the answer could be yes, and I think they direction we're moving in with board support uh, gets us there, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. So I appreciate uh, people's dialogue on this. Maria, Maria, Trustee Hernandez. Yes, I think it's equally important to calculate the cost of disengaged employees. So mm -hmm. it's great to see the 2000 hours went in that direction in a positive way. Uh, sometimes when we're talking about disengagement, when there's not a culture of inclusion, we ask people, what would happen if you calculated that 10% of your staff is not really on track and not doing their job? And it's an astronomical figure, um, equally so. And we need to also think about that as we start to move the organization through this big culture shift that we're trying to do make sure we're all growing in the same direction and understand why we're going in that direction. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that complex calculus. And, and apologies, everyone, we're going to go into a little bit of bonus time, probably seven minutes or so. 
but it is. I think we're having a good dialogue. I, you know, I, I, I was once walking around the container store, and anyone's ever been to the container store, and they had the kind of this, I love the container store. They had like this list of principles, and one of their principles was one great employee equals two good employees. And it's, it's the, the math of that. Now, how to get to that calculus, that's tough, but it really is an interesting principle about how we put all this. Um, uh, Darshan, uh, I know the great reports. Darshan, I have uh, two requests, if you don't mind, humble requests. Uh, on the risk events, uh, we previously had a key to say what risk events were. Uh, e event is this, an F event is this, a G H I event is that. If you don't, don't mind, could you please replace the key? Because otherwise, as trustees just look over that, they're like, oh, there's I. What does I mean? I means, you know, very bad. <laughs> and E is just harm, which could have came and then kind of gone away. So putting putting the key for what defining what the risk events, if you don't mind putting that back in, I think that would be helpful. And the other thing I'd ask is if you could actually make a trend line for uh, the risk events, so E and above, and, and, and make that kind of a graph for each level, that way we can actually get a trend feel for for how things have gone because right now the the report a good report only says the past three months and that doesn't give me the context for the prior three months okay and we want to see that curve bending down absolutely if if, if hopefully that's I, i think you already have the data so it's probably just about reconfiguring it in excel or something like that but uh a humble request if you don't mind doing those things not a problem Thank you for your reports. With that, we'll close item F. We're, uh, we're going to do item G very quickly. Uh, it's the True North Metric Dashboard. And uh, for the trustees and for any, everyone in the audience, the, the report's in there, and the report speaks for itself. And it actually says, man, there's some decent amount of green on that report, which is, which, which is nice, Dr. Hussein. I guess my bigger question, uh, which we'll contemplate over the next three minutes, is uh, we are now in May. And as we all recall, we reset or continue our True North metrics. Usually we try to approve it in June for July. So uh, I guess my question to you, Dr. Hussein, is are you comfortable with this set of metrics for the quality TNM uh, components? Hi, Trustee Bukak. Um, I think this will also be informed by our dialogue on Saturday. I don't yeah. believe that anything on this can be removed, um, but I am open to considering if there are metrics aligned in these deep domains that we can richen uh, or deepen the categories we have identified. Um, if we continue to improve these metrics, we will see an improvement in our publicly reported data. Uh, the question, if anything, will be, do we want to deepen the categories of HAIs or harms or um, et cetera? Thank you, Dr. Hussein. I think that I think just as a as a framework for at least to my two other trustees and actually our executive leadership team, I think it's going to be one of our exercises on Saturday is to go through this contemplation about what's important uh, to, to trustee Jensen's public comment are some of the things on our quality dashboard. Could they have been leapfrog related things, which we would have been tracking anyways, which might have bent our leapfrog scores. Um, Currently, we've suspended two of those uh, metrics because they're, they relate to ambulatory efficiency. So that begs the question, do we think about another construct as we move towards maybe seeing more telehealth? How do we do that? Um, 
is there a place on on this dashboard for compliance activity or sentinel events or or harm scores all stuff for us to preview to contemplate for saturday so with that i apologize tanbir for taking your time but is is that acceptable okay i look forward to that discussion on saturday morning trustee hernandez yeah, on Saturday, if we could just dive just a little bit, um, Dr. Hussein, into the 30-day readmits. I'm just curious if that was because of anything related to our treating patients with COVID or what, what might have been the bubble that raised that, just for Saturday, please. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll make that a placeholder. Well, that will close out item G. We'll go to item H, which is, which is the plan, planning calendar. It's already all in your packets. My apologies, there was one thing that uh, the IOP report, I forgot to put that on to this month. So we will have IOP, uh, sorry, Dr. Babaria come back and give us an update on IOP. That's not on the current calendar, but uh, but just know that that. So well, that will close item H and we'll end uh, with item I, legal counsel. Hi, Trustee Bouquet. So this is Alexander, Associate General Counsel. I'll go ahead. And Hi. Hi, Alexander. How are you? Doing well. How are you? The report is that uh, the QPSC committee met in closed session and consider and approve the credentialing reports of the four medical staff. Uh, the committee took no further action. Excellent. With that, we'll close item I. My apologies, five minutes in bonus time, and see everyone in the full board meeting.